The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, I am absolutely delighted to welcome my guest, Mr. Neil Ritchie, who is the Executive Director for the League of Rural Voters. Before joining the League, Neil spent 14 years with the Minneapolis-based Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy, where he served in a variety of roles, including eight years as a national organizer responsible for outreach and networking among U.S. farm and non-farm groups. Neil, welcome. Thanks for having me, Melinda. I am thrilled because I think that your area of work and expertise is so critical to keeping our democracy strong. I want to know, first of all, how did you get into this line of work, politics and organizing? That is always a great question, and my spouse frequently wants to know the answer to that as well. <laughs> you know, I grew up in a small town in central Iowa. My parents were professionals. My mother was a teacher. My father was a research scientist at the USDA lab in Ames, Iowa. And we were sort of brought up to talk to question authority. And uh, I have three brothers, and the four of us, you know, all turned out more or less the same in that regard. And so once we got out in the world, and, and I had actually grown up watching my town sort of prosper and then dip and prosper and dip, and I didn't understand it at the time, but once I once I got away from town and went to college, I started looking back and realizing that it was federal policy, agriculture policy, that was determining the economic health of my community. And once I figured that out and thought about how important it was for people to have options and the fact that no invisible hand that was making these decisions, I started going to work on politics because I knew that's where the solutions were. So did you major in politics when you were in college? No, I was a sociology major, actually, and spent a, a good portion of my spare time uh, involved in student government, mm-hmm. and which was sort of small ball politics at the University of Iowa, uh, you know, allocating student fees and uh, getting into arguments about policy and stuff. But so we, I, I and a whole number of folks who are still active around the region in politics came out of a sort of a training program, as it were, there. But sociology and, uh, you know, was the main sort of academic focus. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the question authority theme because I was cleaning out my desk drawer the other day and I found a little button that said question authority and I thought back to our founding fathers who really wanted us in a strong democracy to debate and question each other and I think it's our responsibility as citizens in the United States to question authority and when we stop questioning, I think we run into a lot of trouble which we are experiencing today. I agree completely. I think, um, you know, on a good day, I think, you know, we're about to 
we're about to turn it around. Some days I, I worry uh, because there's, there seems to be so much political power and money amassed against ordinary people, against rural people in places. You know, corporate power has grown tremendously in the last 30 or 40 years, and I think we see the trends in Missouri, in Iowa, in Minnesota, all across the country. There's so much effort being put into trying to restrict access to the ballot for people to try and limit the ability of students to vote where they are going to college, you know, so on. Just It, it seems like we are at a fairly dangerous time mm-hmm. in our country's history, and it, it's hard to separate it out from the economic trouble that we're having, and, and it's hard to keep people's eye on the ball when they're struggling other ways. You know, the economy's rough now. It's hard to make good choices. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to think long-term when you're worried about next week. And rural places have always, you know, had a little more, a, a little more trouble with the economy than the urban places. They've had less attention from the government in the last 50 years than urban places. And even though we're the, the places where the uh, food is produced, increasingly where energy is coming from, the wellspring of American values, rural people have had to hustle a lot more to get uh, their fair share of the resources that are out there. And the more we sort of move towards people saying, well, government's really not going to help me, government's not the, not the answer, the harder it's going to be. So it's a dangerous time. That's what it feels like to me. And I think rural people in particular and rural places are in some ways America's best hope for taking the situation and turning it around. Yeah. I really wanted to have a conversation with you today because you're relatively fresh out of the National Rural Assembly meeting, which occurred from June 28th to the 30th. Right. And it it occurred in St. Paul, Minnesota. You had over 300 rural leaders, practitioners, young people, and advocates come out to address the critical issues that we're facing rural communities today. And I want to know which critical issues rose to the top. Well, there's, there's some that, are, that have been stewing for a while. Um, you know, access to broadband and the economy in general, how to build a strong and resilient economy so that there's opportunity in rural places, uh, it's high on the list. Access to health care, to affordable health care, is you know is a key component of that and stands on its own. You know I think those are probably the two most critical. There's other issues around social security and the dependence. Uh, the, you know the the higher rate of social security dependency in in rural places and the fact that there's talk now of cutting it um, or cutting benefits and uh, right. have, you know huge consequences. You know and to some extent I think the question of the, the politics of the moment and the fact that people are despairing and that there's a real deficit of hope and vision that's sort of overarching this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to have people get energized to go out and do things if they don't think that something better is possible. And I, I think especially for some of us who've been doing this for 30 years or more, some days you wake up and you go, geez, is it ever going to get better? But the issues that came to the top are things that people are motivated and excited about and working on and have a federal component. But the other thing that was great about the Rural Assembly was the fact that there were 50 or 60 
young people, and of course, young is relative, right? Mm -hmm. Young be up to 30 or 35 for me these days. But there were a lot of young people there with a lot of energy and enthusiasm and determination to find a way to make rural life and rural living possible and to get in and, and, you know, start uh, organizing themselves to try and create a better future for themselves, their families, and the communities that where they live or where they came from. Well, I may be mistaken, but I, first of all, I agree with you with regard to the young energy. I find it extremely hopeful to see, for example, young people caring about how their food is produced and wanting to produce food organically and caring so much about the environment. But this is where I need you to correct me if I'm wrong. I really do believe that access to affordable health care is the issue that is preventing a real renaissance from taking over this country. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a writer, a musician, an artist, a farmer, it's that barrier that really keeps us in a cubicle. Because if we get sick or if a young person is deciding, well, I'd like to start a family one day, oh, by the way, uh, where am I going to have this child? What if, God forbid, something should go wrong? What are your thoughts about this? Well, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it is the key to our economic futures for people who think about trying to recruit small businesses or to grow businesses in communities. If you don't have, you know, hospital facilities and physicians on hand, it's really difficult to encourage people to invest in expansion plans. There's no question about that. You know, having people always worried about the healthcare choices that they have. Exactly. And in many cases, in rural places, they have very few. I mean, it's a growing problem, and it is very fundamental to the, to the future. And I think there was some hope that, you know, the debate over reform was going to begin addressing some of this. And, mm-hmm. of course, we, we don't really know yet what it's addressed and won't for a while. But you are absolutely right. For farmers uh, especially, the, the access to affordable uh, care is you know, almost non-existent just because of the nature of the insurance industry and the relative isolation. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah, I, I, would, I would go with you on that one. Well, at the National Rural Assembly, was there a special group that focused on health? And did, did they have some suggestions or ideas about how they wanted to push the pendulum more towards social justice? Well, so this is an interesting question you ask. So I'll just tell you briefly, the the Rural Assembly is a network of organizations and and individual leaders four or five years now in the making that that came up around a set of uh, principles about healthy communities and, uh, you know, stewardship of natural resources and, uh, you know, education and, and economic development. One of the core steering committee members, I'm on the steering committee the League of Rural Vot- as the League of Rural Voters, uh, the National Rural Health Association is one of the core members. So as it happens at this year's assembly meeting, the National Rural Health Association was having its annual meeting at another location. So hmm. we had less of their sort of emphasis and expertise, you know, in our small group sessions. They are always sort of struggling between the question of justice uh, and and how to you know how to frame that and then the real nitty-gritty of how programs are implemented and how reimbursements work with hospitals and so forth mm. so I would say that there's plenty of room for that to evolve that way but the reality of having 
large organizations that have big grassroots components but are focused on Washington, D.C.-based activities around administrative policy and stuff, it has a, a less of a less of an action feel to it from a coalition standpoint. And I think it's really important that we start to consider this. And I, I appreciate that you've you know you've brought this to to the nation's attention through your work. The truth is there everything that we try and if you if you address one problem there's still other problems. And so the more we can find comprehensive ways to think about what we're trying to create and to think about and to understand the the challenges, economic development can't really occur without it. That is absolutely true. Mm. What's also true is that the costs of health care have gotten out of control in no small part because of the crazy diet that we have been encouraged to adopt and the preventable diseases that come from the industrial agriculture system and the corn sweetener shifts and the global trade regimes, how they encourage more and more of that kind of production. And, you know, once you grab the thread and start to pull it, the whole thing kind of unravels. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm about ready to take a little road trip myself, and I have to think ahead, okay, I've got to pack a cooler because I know driving from my home in Missouri north actually through Minnesota and into North Dakota, I'm not going to have much access to good food, good organic quality food, even though there are pockets where some of that food may be produced in order to stay healthy or relatively healthy. Right. That is a very basic component. So Right, and I think there's, you know, there are a lot of movements towards trying to reestablish and recreate, and what we have our experience here in Minnesota, which is getting better, the Twin Cities in particular has gotten quite a bit better, but the market is there for the expansion of organic production. The incentives aren't necessarily there. And so the market has grown tremendously even without the kind of support through tax policy and regulatory policy that other industries have enjoyed along the way. And so and the thing that's changing now is the understanding of the link between nutrition and diet and health mm-hmm. and health and the and the even though we're stuck in a place where we're arguing about whether government should be bigger or smaller the reality of the expense that has gone into the healthcare system overall and being able to easily identify how much of that is preventable you know, at this moment when we're arguing about how do you shrink costs, suddenly the common sense of, oh, having people eat better, have access to higher quality and more nutritious food, like we're at a moment where that can start to get into ordinary people's consciousness and they can start making choices based on it. So, it, mm-hmm. you know, it's we're getting smarter about it. I don't know if we're getting smarter fast enough about it. Right. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Neil Ritchie. He's the executive director of the League of Rural Voters. And before joining the League, he spent 14 years with the Minneapolis-based Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy, which serves in a variety of roles, including you've been a national organizer, you've been responsible for outreach and networking among U.S. farm and non-farm groups, lots of politics, lots of organizing. And I have to 
go back to something you said about incentives and how we're seeing this movement of change, of positive change, despite the fact that we don't really have enough incentives. Do you think that we can have positive change, the kind that we want to see, the kind that we know will help really strengthen rural economies without campaign finance reform? Yes, but it'll take a lot longer and there'll be a lot, you know, there'll be a lot more time and money wasted along the way. I mean, campaign finance reform is the impact of money in politics has pushed us to the brink of, you know, real trouble with our democracy. And, and it's, you know, campaign finance reform by itself is a really important thing. The problem with it is we've got a Supreme Court that just struck down the only good, some of the only good campaign finance laws we had in the country, in the states. And so we have power that's arrayed against that idea and the notion that money equals speech. And, you know, there are some really significant obstacles to some of this stuff. And there's two ways you can think about the future. You can be optimistic about it or pessimistic about it. And all of the problems that are manifest in our political system, it's probably not in our lifetime we're going to get them all solved, but we we really do have to figure out how to feed ourselves well and to take better care of ourselves in our lifetimes. And so I think there is room for some very significant progress to occur. The global economy idea and the globalization model once the price of fuel went through the roof, all of that sort of fell apart. And so people are looking around for other ideas about how to live, how to be more responsible in their own lives, and how to how to have their community survive uh, and even thrive. So I think there's a there's an awakening and an understanding about what it will take, both in terms of changing our own behavior, but also creating the kind of systems around us that we want. The other thing that stands between us and the precipice a little bit is some of the ecological impacts mm-hmm. of the way we live and the way we produce food. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once you start to see diseases that can no longer respond to antibiotics because of the way they were used, squandered really, in industrial food production, those sorts of things, the weeds that you can no longer control uh, with chemicals because they have grown resistant, those sorts of things, the changing climate, the impact that's having on people's ability to farm and produce in the way that they did in the place that they are over time, I, I do think there are other mitigating factors. But if we could have campaign finance reform, it would be hugely helpful. In the last election in Minnesota and in Wisconsin, which is what I paid the closest attention to, we saw tens of millions of dollars show up unannounced, unknown in terms of their origin that had huge consequences at the town level in small state legislative districts and absolutely devastated the order that had existed for years and years and years. So, you know, it's gotten to the point where it's beyond just simple campaign finance reform questions. It's like, what you know, what are we going to allow? How much are we going to give of our, you know, seed in terms of our own authority and our own responsibility as citizens to 
corporate, you know, corporate entities and, right. and so on. I mean, it's it's hard. It's complicated, and everything we need to do takes longer than we want it to. But we just have to kind of keep at it. You know, Neil, when I drive through rural communities, what really strikes me is the lack of access to varied opinions in media. And I know one of the areas that you're interested in and that I wanted to touch on is this idea of media justice. And that certainly gets to your point about having access to broadband. And we should talk a little bit about what having access means to rural communities. But to me, what I miss so much when I go away from home and what I'm so happy to get back to is thoughtful, intelligent talk radio, uh, multiple stations that give me a variety of, of viewpoints so that it's not just one voice telling me how to think. So talk to me a little bit about rural communities and access to smart media. Well, it's, uh, you know, that's another, uh, that's another sector that has had enormous uh, changes and consolidation over the years. And the challenge of finding, uh, of, of having access to uh, multiple viewpoints, of course, public radio has been the, you know, the bulwark in terms of making sure that we have a number of points of view. We actually have a, a situation in a lot of places where the stations don't uh, actually have people in them anymore, and they receive satellite feeds from some place uh, with the programming. And so right. the, the electronic media is it's challenging, and the, the thing I would say about it is that the more uh, we look at the way the attacks are arrayed against public uh, public media, National Public Radio, and and in our state and other places, I think that's a place where we need to be paying attention and speaking out because people have to have a way to tell their story and so and communicating, expressing their opinion. So the broadband question is so fundamental because it's the key to access to you know the economy, global markets, uh, education assistance. Healthcare is hugely dependent on it these days, and so that's a pivot point. And you know, I I am an old enough dog that the new tricks like Twitter and Facebook and so on they're they're not they're 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 a little bit of a mystery to me. But I know for a lot of people and for young people, those new media and uh, you know cell phones and the, the amount of information that is shared in those ways is growing exponentially, and I think we need to make sure people continue to have access to those platforms. The consolidation of the cell phone companies that people are are arguing about these days, AT&T and T-Mobile, is you know AT&T says, well, we'll you know we'll give broadband to 90% of uh, rural places in America if you let us do this do this deal and. So there's clearly a recognition that that's something that people want. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that we know from our work over the years, and, and the League is an old organization that came out of the farm crisis of the mid-1980s, straight up out of the cornfield, so to speak, in Iowa and Missouri and Kansas and Nebraska. What's true today, what's true then, is that local media if it's owned and operated locally, absolutely is connected to the community and understands its relation to the 
community in terms of we're all in this together. Uh, the print media is, a, is still a place where in the cities it's complicated and the, the newspapers have been drastically you know, reshaped and downsized. But a lot of the rural newspapers are still chugging along, and those are also places where opinions can be shared and people end up doing a lot of debating of issues and contemplating things and so on. And so the media itself and access to it is, is vital. There's also a part of us as citizens that need to take responsibility for speaking up about things that we care about or things that concern us. And that's, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of uh, equal measure these days with people feeling like, oh, I'm one voice, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You have to find a way to get people to understand that their voice does matter, their story is important, and how they move through the world, uh, you know, it, it is absolutely uh, important to the, to the whole scheme of things. We just have a couple of minutes left, and I want to give you an opportunity to let our listeners know anything that is just burning, an issue that's burning that you got from the conference or that, uh, a charge or two or three that you want to leave our listeners with <laughs> or more. Oh, bless you. You know, the thing that I'm worried about the most at this very moment uh, yeah. from, from a rural standpoint is the, the debate in Washington about Social Security. Uh, because Social Security is a more important part of the rural economy by far than it is uh, important to the to the cities hmm. because the population is aging because the work is more dangerous there are more people dependent on social security which is the most successful anti-poverty program in the history of this country and the fixation of Washington on social security as somehow related to the long-term budget is so out of sync with reality, and politicians looking for a way to avoid harder conversations about how do you balance budgets, how do you, you know, think about large unchecked spending on, you know, defense and, you know, conflicts uh, around the world. Like, this is a diversion but it's a dangerous one where people say, well, it's okay. Well, you know, people are living longer. We'll raise the retirement age to 69, which is if you work hard for a living, that's a problem. If you're sitting on your backside and drafting uh, wills or, you know, doing deals as a banker, you can probably manage yourself that late. But, you know, there's a there's a way that rural rural people need to start paying attention and speaking up about this issue in particular, and it's how we keep uh, our parents uh, out of poverty, and it, it, it should not even be being discussed if they want to figure out how to extend it further into the future. They should talk about revenue, but people who work hard for a living, and that's who lives in rural places. They shouldn't have to think about this anymore. Well, Neil, I'm going to have to cut off our conversation, and I want to leave our listeners with a website to your organization, the League of Rural Voters, and it's simply www.leagueofruralvoters.org. I want to thank you so much, Neil Ritchie, for being my guest. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in, and I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced in beautiful downtown Columbia at KOPN Studios. Thank you, Neil, and we will go to your website to learn more about how to take action on these extremely critical issues. Thank you, Melinda, and thanks for the work that you do. 